This is Entrepreneurs Exposed. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is sponsored by RBC for Canada's on-the-go entrepreneurs. RBC has just launched its latest solution to help make managing and running a business that much easier. Through RBC's remote account open experience, Canadian business owners can now open an RBC deposit account from anywhere at any time, ensuring you can spend less time on administrative tasks and more on what really matters, growing your business. To open an RBC deposit account, remotely or learn more about solutions that go beyond banking to support your business, call your RBC advisor or contact the advice center at 1-800-ROYAL-20. This episode is also brought to you by Bruch. If you're working from home and have canceled all your in-person stuff lately as a result of this COVID thing, you might have also dodged your dentist appointment. Thankfully, Bruch is taking care of your oral hygiene through their state-of-the-art electric toothbrush subscription shipped direct to your door. Bruch was developed in collaboration with dentists to ensure an amazing clean every time. Ultra soft bristles, six cleaning modes, sonic wave technology. It is the cleanest my teeth have felt since I left the dentist, which was about a year ago. Anyway, for more info on Bruch and to give your teeth the best hygiene they've seen in a year, go to Bruch.com. That's B-R-U-U-S-H.com. And don't forget to use the code E215, that's E215, for 15% off. If you've been following the clothing industry, you know how hard it's been hit by the pandemic. But some direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands have figured out a formula to not only survive, but crush expectations in the sector. One of those businesses is Unbound Merino, and today we are chatting with Dan Dembski, who is the co-founder and CEO. This is a clothing brand that has nailed its positioning around product quality and lifestyle. In his words, the company really is the anti-consumer consumer brand. And in this episode, we chat with Dan about what changes the company made to its messaging to completely reverse its 40% drop in revenue when COVID hit. We also discuss unbound success with Facebook ad buys, why top entrepreneurs wear a uniform, whether Amazon is going to move aggressively into luxury goods, and more. So with that, let's get to the show. Here is Dan Dembski. obvious to many that the clothing industry was hit very hard from the pandemic. Probably a big challenge to rethink your strategy given how well you were positioned uh, as a travel brand. So walk me through that. We were especially in a pretty brutal position to get hit hard because not only every clothing, but again, we're everything that we've worked so hard in our positioning for. And we're talking about years of tinkering with the messaging. You know, we do a lot of Facebook ads and digital ads as far as our acquisition strategy goes. So we, for years, have been refining this message. It's just like perfectly tailored to the the business traveler or the, you know, the nomadic type person. And everything we worked so hard for was completely grinded to a halt as the industry grinded to a halt. We had to rethink exactly what we were as a brand. We had to pivot what our messaging was to be something that wasn't just for travel. Cause not only did the travel messaging not work cause there was no industry. It was actually made us look pretty dumb. Like we still had some Facebook ads that were lingering and we'd see comments of people coming back to us saying like, um, you know, we forgot to pull this one ad. So someone would be like, wow, this brand is dumb. And then, and then people weren't really spending money on much at all other than 
the necessities was this thing sort of unfolded. The the thing that we had going for us, which was our lifeline, was the fact that we were a direct consumer e-commerce brand. Like we didn't have wholesale accounts that were freezing up. We didn't have stuff in stores that people weren't able to go and and, and buy because they couldn't go into stores. Everything we we did was online. So that was the start. We had to start digging deep into everything we could do to find new customers or re-engage with our current customers just to sort of keep uh, keep the lights on because we were growing so fast as this travel brand and we were used to 100% growth year over year. So we had to get really smart really fast to figure out how to how to get back on the rails and turn this whole thing around. So what was that new messaging? What did that look like? So we started digging into the coffers of all the things that our brand can represent outside of travel. And we just started tinkering with anything that made us a little broader in our messaging. It was a bit of an opportunity for us because a lot of times people would, you know, people would say to us, why are you positioning yourself just as travel? It's so limiting. You can go more broad. I disagree with that. I think it's good to pick a niche because you can do what we did and get really refined in your messaging. So we started just digging into anything we could, but we, it was so much more than just messaging. It was anything that we could do to get more people on our website. And, you know, I'll tell you something there's, I think everyone finds a little bit of silver lining through all the chaos of coronavirus that not just in business in life, you know, I mean, people are spending more time with their families and everyone's been talking about this all year about what those silver linings are, because you have to focus on what you can be grateful for. The silver lining in business for us here was that when you experience growth, like we were, and we were just continuing, continuing to grow almost without trying to be honest, because most of the work that we did on this brand was right at the beginning when we launched this thing. And then we, I, I, I can honestly say there's a good part of us that was probably way lazier than we should have been because we were experiencing growth and, and we're experiencing scale, like scale while we were just sort of like chugging along. We weren't like grinding every day. We weren't working 14 hour days. But when coronavirus hit, it felt like we had to get into the war room. We had to roll up our sleeves and think of everything we could do to get revenues back up because we got scared. And we started doing all of these things that we could have done all along that we weren't, probably just because we were complacent. Given that your manufacturing is overseas, specifically in China, did you take the threat of this seriously from the beginning? Like, Did you have an inclination that things could be impacted here in North America given what was happening over there and the supply chain disruptions and things like that? I wish I could say yes, but the the level of how naive we were um, is, is astounding when I look back. In January, we went to a show called ISPO, which is a big trade show for performance textiles and sportswear and activewear. It's the biggest in the world. And a lot of our suppliers were supposed to be there. But because of coronavirus, now this is January, this is before it hit the world really hard, they all ha- they all were held back. And I was really excited because I was going to meet some of our suppliers we haven't met in person, but none of them were there. This was in Germany. So I remember having a conversation with my business partner about this coronavirus. And like, do you think it, do you take this seriously at all? And I remember him saying, the World Health Organization hasn't said anything that makes me worried. You know, this will all blow over, whatever. You can always learn looking back. 
we were just not careful enough. And I think a lot of people were like that. And that's just me being honest. Have you thought about rebuilding or rethinking your supply chain entirely? Like, have you thought about building extra resilience or redundancy into what's happening overseas so that if this was to happen in the future or some sort of variation of this, that you would have alternatives? Not only is it, let's say, a threat of having all of our manufacturing in one you know, it's all in one manufacturer, but most of it was in China. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not just the fact that we should rethink doing it in China. It's like spreading it around to different manufacturers around the world for different reasons, just so we can have a different inflow of, of, of production. A lot of the stuff we brought into Canada because we can actually show up and, and get a better feel and be more hands-on with the, the production process itself but it's not just uh, spreading it, the the manufacturing around for the sake of what if China goes offline? What if tariffs are raised? Uh, the one thing that's been very, very strange through this whole coronavirus thing is the xenophobia of people that, you know, we, we I'm starting to see this massive inflow of negativity on our on our ads of I think it's it's wrong. I think there's chat problems with governments all over the world, you know, even including our own. I think it's very misguided to have so much hatred towards China. I think it's weird to me, you know, considering I've been there so many times and I have, I would say, pretty deep roots there. It's strange to me how much the world or, you know, at least in the Western world is starting to have a distaste for China. But that's the reality mm. that we're living with right now. So a lot of our manufacturing are starting to bring Canada because like if this continues to grow that's that's a, one of the more pronounced problems we're having not fear of the supply chain not being able to deliver in China it's people having a distaste for China how do you counter that sentiment do you even attempt to when when you're seeing that at first we would reply and we would explain our perspective but there's really no point it's like when you're talking about internet trolls mm-hmm. and some of these people, I mean, they might truly believe that this is a problem. I, I can't speak. I can't just dismiss them as trolls, but like a lot of them are just trolls. You're not going to get anywhere by arguing with them. And I don't think everyone is that concerned. I don't, it's not, it's not like a, I, I don't think the average consumer is that upset with the the global affairs and and their position on china i don't i think most people you know they might think this but then they go and they buy an iphone which is manufactured in china so mm-hmm. i think the best thing to do, it's like is this a battle i want to fight and we decided no so people are entitled to their opinion but ultimately we're just making a, a stride to try to bring some more production here in, into north america but for the most part just have to ignore it and focus on the bigger challenges. One of the advantages you mentioned earlier was that you are a direct-to-consumer e-commerce company. So that is a huge advantage. At the same time, retailers are getting hit from all sides and a lot of the bigger ones have just bigger cash war chests than you have. So as they begin to invest in robust e-com and direct-to-consumer, are you seeing any impact there? Is there any additional threat to Unbound? That's a really good question and one that I wish I had a clear perspective on myself. There's two ways of looking at this. One is, you know, we had this really, you know, smart strategy we feel that where a lot of 
brands are, are really like focused on their wholesale accounts. And, and as a result, they need to skimp on quality because they need to do the wholesale pricing and blah, blah, blah. And we are, when we do things differently, direct to consumer than a lot of the brands that are out there, um, we can invest more in our product and the quality will be higher and we can invest in acquiring direct relationships with our customers. And it's just like, it's a healthy and simple business model. So there's a part of me that feels, well, now this is the only way to go for the time being. And a lot of these brands are going to start investing in that. And now they're going to be more aggressive as competitors. But the other part of me is like, well, the market is massive and not only are, and while the, the brands are shifting to becoming e more e-commerce centric brands, consumers are also shifting to become more e-commerce centric consumers. When you look at the actual stats on where e-commerce is in terms of volume, it's jumped, it's jumped ahead 10 years. Like the way they anticipated the volume of e-commerce on a regular day to be in the year 2030 is where it's at now. So while the clothing retail industry has been hit, e-commerce has completely exploded. So when things sort of settle down, I think there's going to be a lot more consumers online. Yes, there'll be more competition, but we have a head start in it and we, we know how to access customers. So I, the playing field is a little bit more equal. We're not trying to compete with a big brand by having a, a huge presence in a Neiman Marcus or a store like that. Mm -hmm. That's just not our game. When we're going to go head to head with a brand that might be a competitor, even if they have a lot deeper pockets, we can be just as crafty as them at acquiring a customer online. They might be able to spend more money, but we can acquire a customer for, we think, probably cheaper. Let me give you an example. If you were to give $100,000 to Nike and $100,000 to us to sell socks online, and that means the $100,000 is for acquiring new customers, spending it on digital ads. I would think that we could acquire customers as efficiently, if efficiently, if not more efficiently than them. They have the brand cachet of being Nike. We don't, but they're at the mercy of a huge organization where they're hiring agencies, spending so much money to acquire these customers. We've, we're a very nimble company. I think the future looks very bright for brands like ours mm -hmm. because the world of e-commerce is just exploding. Speaking of um, digital customer acquisition and uh, digital ad spend, we've also seen a, a pretty drastic drop in CPC rates on Facebook and by extension, Instagram, where I imagine you buy a lot of traffic. Given how much of your traffic is coming from those channels, even though you have this, say, drop in, in top line sales, have your profit margins remained pretty steady? Um, actually, we're... We're more profitable now. We're healthier as a business. As far as cost per click goes and, and all the digital marketing stuff, that's something that just changes on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. Just the whole landscape of how it works. You have to be so hands-on. It's, like it's like a big living entity, these digital marketing algorithms that you have to just, you can't, it's not a set it and forget it. It's a constant tweak. We have a full-time guy who works handling our Facebook ads and digital ads. He's in-house. And uh, it changes on a whim. Obviously, it changes with coronavirus. I don't think, I mean, it can change on anything. When Amazon does Prime Day, the ad inventory online completely changes and it's focused so much on Amazon. So what we do is we completely pull our ads 
for prime day because we just know we're not going to compete. You have to, you just have to know how to deal with all of the things that happen. And the only way you learn how they fluctuate is by just staying completely focused on it. That's a complete full-time job. Like when you say you went into the war room and, and you take a look under the hood at your business and you begin to cost cut or remove any superfluous spending, as you've mentioned, you know, that part seems obvious uh, if you're a business impacted by COVID. But what does it actually mean in practice to do that? Like what were some of the things that you should have been doing pre-COVID that you are now doing now to make the business more efficient? So a couple things we did. One thing I think was one of the smarter things that we did is we went to all of our suppliers and we asked them, do you have any extra material that, you know, that you're sitting on that we can buy from you? So we went and, for example, there was a maroon fabric that we can make hoodies with. It was the same weight, the same fabric as we used for the black hoodies we were selling. We didn't have a maroon color. So our suppliers are so happy to sell this to us because this they don't know what else they're going to do with it. They have enough material to make a few hundred hoodies. And we're like, let's buy. so we just make a few hundred hoodies. So we started making these limited run product releases that we would release as an email blast. And we would sell, usually we'd sell out whatever we were launching within like a couple hours. And we noticed something when it's, when there's a limited amount of something and you can only get it for a limited amount of time, people are extra excited to buy it, especially when they miss it and it sells out. So we found a Merino blend, which was like almost a pure white, which was beautiful. And we were able to make a couple hundred of them and we sold them out in an hour. And once they sold out, people were emailing us like crazy. Oh, I missed it. When are there going to be more? When they're going to be more? And they were signing up for when we're going to have another release of this white. So a few months later, we were able to get a little bit more. We released it. Everyone bought it. But you know when Nintendo releases a new system, it sells out in the first day. And then you know at the toy stores and the video game stores, people are lining up because they were waiting for that next release. That's scarcity. There's something about scarcity which is like irresistible to, to customers. So we realized that we're, I mean, there's a true scarcity. We only have a few of these. But this works out so well. We're doing something that's awesome for our suppliers. They're so happy to get rid of limited amounts of, of material. We're creating a little bit of a, uh, a marketing buzz from the scarcity of having this product. And it sells so fast because people know that it truly is, there truly is scarcity to this. They get it now or it's sold out. They might not have this ever again or might not have it for a few months or whatever it might be. Um, and it sort of created a little bit of energy to the marketing. Like people don't want to unsubscribe from their list. They want to open our email right away because if they're going to get a different color or a, a limited product, this is their only shot. So there's a little bit of buzz. Was there ever a thought that this could be it for Unbound, this sector, this niche that you've created, and that you'd have to create a brand new business line or a brand new company altogether? If I stopped seeing a need for our product myself, then I, maybe I would think differently. But coronavirus didn't change the way I felt about the quality of our clothing. So I just feel it's just how you position it. All we were talking about is what what is our positioning? What are we going to focus on? What products will we focus on? And you never know. Like I'll tell you, we just released a, 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 a beanie or toque. I actually just learned toque is a Canadian word. Yes. Um, in America, they don't know what a toque is. 
But uh, a, a toque slash beanie. We call it a beanie on our website because most of our customers are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And we all, after we put, we made this beanie, we thought there's, is this thing even to sell? People are not going outside. We haven't sold a winter product like this before. And we don't know if our consumers are, are winter product consumers. We all agreed after we designed and put the order in and started manufacturing this, that that's probably a mistake to make these. But they're selling incredibly. I'll tell you an interesting thing. There's a, there's a buddy of mine, and he, he bought T-shirts from us. And he messaged me. This is probably three months ago. And he said, dude, I have no idea what took me so long to get these t-shirts. They're the best t-shirts ever. I'm like, I'm hooked. And I asked him, I said, why did you decide to buy them now? And I was sort of thinking like, it's probably going to be the whole work from home thing. This is a guy who works for TD Bank. Mm-hmm. He spent uh, the past many years of his career going to the TD Towers. And he'd wear a suit and a tie. And he has a wardrobe full of suit of ties and, and dress shirts and suit and jackets. And he said he's not going to go back to that. He doesn't see himself going back to that office for years. But he likes having nice clothing. He liked wearing ties. He's not going to wear a tie and a dress shirt now. He's working from home. But he wants to have a really good quality of t-shirt. So there's this whole inflow of people that were suit and tie people. that they, Those are people that kind of like to wear nice things. So people are figuring out what these stories are now, like who are the consumers that are now T-shirt people that maybe weren't before or what's the use case for them. This is not clear to anyone. It's something that we're all figuring out as we go. But that was an interesting one. Speaking of wardrobes um, and what people feel comfortable in on a daily basis, in April, you released a blog post called Why Top Entrepreneurs Wear a Uniform which I thought was was pretty interesting, citing some very successful founders, i.e. Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, and more, who have their token daily wardrobe, which they never deviate from. Yet there's obviously some, some key deeper benefits here to wearing the same thing every day. So can you hit on a little bit of those themes and what that's all about? Some people like to pick what their uniform is in a sense, because it removes the decision fatigue of having to think of what your outfit is to change your outfits with seasons, to always have new clothes. There are a lot of our customers and there's a lot of people out there that they wear a black crew neck or a v-neck t-shirt. That's all they wear. Or a, a, a charcoal gray crew neck or v-neck t-shirt or whatever it is. They decide the thing they wear and they'll buy many of them. And that way, every day when they wake up, they don't have to think about putting together an outfit. It's just not, it's not something they put value on. So they simplify their lives by having the this having the repetitiveness in what they wear. They wear the same thing every day. And that's what Steve Jobs really popularized that because he didn't want to have to think about what's where he had his trademark look and that became a part of his brand. But the brand that was really more about his thinking. He's not wearing the same shirt every day. He's wearing just the same style. He has probably endless amount of that black turtleneck and those blue jeans and he put them on because that way, he didn't have to think about anything else about the thing that mattered. And that is at the nucleus of what we are, too. You know, our, our main core value as a company is less but better. When we were a travel brand, you know, pack less, experience more. It's like, don't worry so much about your luggage. Simplify your luggage. What you should worry about is getting into that place where you are and experiencing it. Being out with the locals, having a drink, eating a meal. Like, those are the things that bring you joy when you travel 
not the stuff that you have. Yeah. So at the nucleus of who we are is being that sort of t- is create is creating freedom through simplicity. Related to this theme of less but better, Netflix is featuring quite a bit of content around all of this, reducing clutter, uh, minimalism in general, I would say. There was the Marie Kondo stuff. And then more recently, there's this new show called The Home Edit or something like that. Um, does any of this indirectly help with market awareness for brands like yours? I think that we happen to tap into some kind of like zeitgeist by, by chance. Um, I think that's why our brand worked. There was a timing element. It's who we really are. You know, we weren't trying to say, oh, there's a trend in minimalism. Um, so let's capitalize on it. This is legitimately just who we are. And by just sheer luck, the the world has started to take to it a little bit. A lot of people are realizing it's they're not getting a lot of joy and value from the material possessions. And they're replacing those, you know, they, they like nice stuff, but it's not an out the stuff they buy isn't an outward expression of like lavishness, opulence, materialism. People are changing and I think that was happening before coronavirus. I think coronavirus even accelerated that because the things that started to matter the most are the things that are in your home, including the people in your home, the relationships in which you have, the people that you really want, that you miss, that you want to connect with through Zoom. I think people were starting to put more of a value on simpler things. There's a demand for this because people are changing. So I think we really tap... That is a it's a it's a shift in what we have to really focus our energies on in our marketing too because we we've always been that brand you know it's like we've always been more about the experiences of life than the you know it's weird we're almost an anti-consumerism brand and we're a consumer brand we're anti-materialism but we sell a material product like it's it's a it almost doesn't make sense but that's who we are. And the people, that's why our clothing is always unbranded is because the people that buy our stuff, they're not against having nice things. They like nice things and it's expensive. It's a, it's a very expensive to produce. Therefore it's expensive to in the price in retail. Uh, But people are not buying it to be showy. We're not the Louis Vuitton or the Supreme or the Gucci of the world. We're plain black shirts. People buy them because they know they perform well. They feel amazing, but it's, it's actually to remove the the desire and the pitfalls of materialism is the reason that a lot of people buy what we sell. Do you have an understanding of how your consumers have been impacted by COVID? I mean, you mentioned the brand as being you know expensive, and it is. It's a premium brand. So at any point, did you think about reducing your pricing, let's say, to make it more accessible to a broader market? Nope. In fact, we've we our costs have gone up through COVID, and therefore our prices have slightly gone up. Um, that it's just. You know, we're tr- we try to learn as much as we can about our customers, and that goes to, to even getting on the phone. We'll e- email customers and ask if we can get on the phone with them, and we interview customers and try to learn what motivates them. Being seeing as though we're a luxury product, I think this is my this is what I truly think is going to happen with e-commerce. I think that anything there's going to be two kinds of brands. There's going to be luxury brands that you know sell something that's a little bit more premium in quality and in price. And that's a little bit more boutique-y. And we fall into that category. It's not just for clothing, it's for anything. You know, there's the luxury expensive and then there's Amazon. I think those are the only two ways that e-commerce is going to go because 
I think competing on price and being more of a value brand, it's like people are going to Amazon. Um, they're impossible to compete with in every possible way. But people don't go to Amazon as much when you're in the upper echelon of pricing. But if you're going to buy a nice watch, like I, if you were on the market to buy, spend over $1,000 on a watch, or if you're going to buy a Rolex, and you were going to buy it online. I mean, most people would want to go into a watch store and put it on because that's a big purchase and it's a rare purchase. But if you were to buy it online, it just is not that people don't want to buy that on Amazon. It doesn't feel like the right experience. But if you're going to buy a Rolex and you can buy it on the Rolex website, that is a, an experience that's different. So the fact that we are a luxury brand is something that we feel gives us longevity and we're focusing on that. So we try not to compete on price because i think it's a it's a losing battle have you ever felt pressure to sell on amazon at any point sometimes but we were, we just refuse to do it for so many reasons mainly the main reason is they have control over your customer they might be able to help you sell a lot of product but ultimately they're the ones and you know when we spend so much time money and energy trying to acquire a new customer but then we have them on our email list that we can market to them and we can continue to build a relationship with them but with Amazon, you don't have that line of communication, especially if they're fulfilling the orders for you, which they push you to do, to have it in the Amazon warehouses. They'll fulfill the product for you, and you don't even know who your customer is. I just feel like it's not a sustainable approach, and we focus all our energy on driving everyone to unboundmarino.com instead of Amazon. Interestingly, Bloomberg published an article on October 9th on this very topic saying Amazon wants to make Jeff Bezos the new king of bling is the title of the article. People can find it online. Uh, the leader in e-commerce is looking to lure high-end brands and shoppers with its new luxury stores platform. How do you think about this in the context of, of what you're saying? Right now, I don't have any change in how I feel. Mm -hmm. I think it's best to focus all your energy on your own platform because then you have more control. But, you know, that might change it depends on how people and, and consumer behavior turns to to that platform in china they have uh they, alibaba has a, a few platforms where lots of brands can can uh sell their product and one's called taobao and the you know smaller brands can sell anything that they want it could be you know it could be snacks it could be shirts it could be anything but it's e it's sort of easier to get onto taobao as a, a small medium-sized company and then there's tmall which is like it's like a luxury mall and in order to be a brand on there you have to be approved and there's like a certain like aesthetic to it and there's like a certain way that they feature products and that's kind of like going into a a nice mall like i if i'm a little like a mom and pop shop i can't go into a big luxury mall and have a store one i couldn't afford to be there but also you need to have you need to be a legitimate store to be able to be approved to be in the mall so t-mall is kind of like that and it's huge we it, it sounds like that's what amazon is trying to create is like a t-mall and until the customer is going to this platform and buying from there it's hard to see if it's really going to take and people want to buy consumer products online it sounds like it could make sense I'd consider it, but it sounds like that's far away. And right now our strategy is all about our own website. Do you think COVID is a blessing for you and your business? 
COVID is a blessing and a curse for us and probably for most people. There's negative effects, but again, it's like you can't live life dwelling on what went wrong. It's like there's a ton of silver lining and we're coming out of this a healthier company. You can choose to let something break you down or build you up. It's literally just a choice. And, you know, every day we go through this, it's been hard for us, but we chose to make it something that builds us up and we've gotten stronger. And I think I've gotten stronger as an individual through COVID. I, in business and in life, I've prioritized what I think matters the most. And I think, I think COVID in that sense has been a blessing. Good place to stop. Less but better. Listeners can find out more about Unbound at unboundmarino.com. Where else can they follow you, Dan? You can find me, Instagram, at Dan Dembski, um, or just find Unbound Marino, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those places. Thanks very much, uh, Dan. Awesome to have you on the podcast again. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you for having me, Adam. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.